0: But a lot of times, you know, you do end a meeting and you've collectively come up with a list of things that need to get done, but you haven't necessarily like named an owner for these things. And so nine times out of 10, there's actually like some confusion. Sometimes you need to go as far as to say, you know, hey, Andy, in my mind, this is something you would own. Is that right? Does that align with your thinking? Or do you think that Dan should own it?
1: Welcome to the Balancing Act Podcast. I am Andrew Tempe, uh, commonly known as Andy. Uh, Today, I've got my former colleague, Danielle Cherkop, who is now the Chief Product Officer at Tech Training Giant General Assembly joining us. Welcome to the show, Danielle.
0: Thanks, Andy. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. So today, we're going to continue exploring the balance between trust and accountability. Uh, listeners would recall from episode 20 that Dan Strafford and I discussed what accountability looks like at the organizational level. In this podcast, we're going to drill down into how these concepts apply within the realm of product management. And I can't think of anyone more capable than Danielle to help us think that through. So before we get started, as always, it would be great if you told our listeners your story. And if you had to pick one event in your life that was a key accelerant for your career as it exists today. What would that accelerant be?
0: Sure, great. Well, thanks, Andy. I really appreciate it, and you—you you very much flatter me. It is my honor to be here with you today, uh, discussing such a such an immensely important topic. So. Um, all right. One event in my life that was a key accelerant to my career. Um, there were definitely a few, some of which you created for me <laughs> and I will forever be grateful for. But I'd have to say the one that really put me in the product game was when Marsha Harrington, the former head of Kaplan International North America, whom you know, uh, called me up and she, she offered me a job leading the Kaplan International North American product team. And at that time, I was leading academic operations for one of Kaplan International's largest English language schools in Chicago. And uh, KI, Kaplan International, was about to embark on a journey to design and create a globally standardized blended learning product suite for English as a second language education. So, yeah, they were looking for someone who deeply understood our customers and understood the problems that we were seeking to solve from both a customer and organizational perspective and who could organize a team to develop these products. So Marsha called me up on a really cold and snowy Friday afternoon in Chicago, and she asked me if I might be interested in this role, which um, happened to be located in sunny Santa Barbara. So I took like 90 seconds to think about it. And I said, yes, <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I actually, I went home and I talked to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And we both decided that this opportunity was way too good to pass up. So I said yes on Monday. And then shortly thereafter, I, uh, I headed to California and that really started my journey and product and in the time that followed, I I did assemble a team and we did develop and roll out Kaplan International's first fully proprietary blended learning product suite. And we developed a corresponding set of assessment tools that we managed to use much more broadly across the greater Kaplan business, as you well know. And to this day, um, those are the products I'm the most proud of, the ones I feel the most connected to, and the ones that were the most creative and fun to build. So, for me, that was really my moment. That was my first step into the world of product. And had I said no to that offer instead of yes, um, no doubt I would not be sitting here with you today.
1: Yeah, the the, uh, the interviews that I'm doing uh, with uh, w- with former colleagues and and other folks it's it's just amazing. This common theme that's coming across that there's like this one moment. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked this question of the of the accelerants or like these 15 minute segments of our lives that that can that can change trajectory so profoundly. Uh, it's it's just so fun to hear those uh, those stories come to life.
0: Yeah, definitely true. You, and you yes. know that when you're when you're in those moments, you're like, I think this is really going to be a, a game changing moment for me. <laughs>
1: But but some of the people that I've talked to, they're, you know, it's only well after the fact that, yeah, they, that they recognize, recognize that 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 was one of those one of those pivotal yes or no moments that just set this path or 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 that or that path. So thank thanks so much for sharing that. No problem. Um, so thus far in in our podcast series, we've heard about creating balance between trust and accountability from the perspective of sales technology, and operations. Now, we want to get the view through the lens of product management. But, you know, first, we need to get grounded in what product management is, what that role is. It's so ill-defined within most companies. Uh, You might recall, I actually had to write uh, a memo that I sent out to the entire uh, business about what product management was and what it was not uh, i don't remember when, that you don't well it was uh, i spent a lot of time on that memo and maybe four or five people actually read it but uh, point point is that product management is uh, is ill-defined within many companies uh, so i want to ask you what role does product management management play in an organization? And where do the boundaries start? And where do they stop?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really great question. And it's, it's actually something that I find myself in the position of having to explain all the time when people say, you know, like, what do you do? You're at a party and people are like, what do you do? And, and I'm like, Oh, what's the easiest way for me to explain this? Right. So my, uh, my cocktail party definition is that, Um, The role of product management is to identify problems that exist in the market, um, problems that are painful enough that people would pay money to solve them. And then what we do is we drive a team to develop differentiated products that solve those problems. And in addition to that, we make sure that we develop those products in a way that creates a commercial return on investment. And... Honestly, that's still like way too long and boring of a definition for most people, but that's, but that's the best I got, (laughs) but I can explain, I can expand on that a little bit for the purposes of, uh, of this conversation. But, um, I think, you know, fundamentally product management balances three key things in an effort to develop, uh, develop and deliver products to customers. Um, if you over index in any of these things, you won't be successful. So the balancing act is key. And those things.
1: Thanks for the the uh, plug. I tried.
0: I tried. Right. So, (laughs) um, those things, simply put, are customer needs, business needs, and the development process, and and balancing all of them is really an art and a science. So, if we talk about customer needs first, um, in some cases, a customer is a business, and in some cases, it's a consumer, but. Regardless, every customer has behaviors and motivations for why they purchase and continuously use products. And a product manager needs to deeply understand those needs and motivations. Um, have you read the book, The Founder's Mentality?
1: I have not yet, but thank you for the recommendation.
0: Yeah, it's I love it. It's a great one. So for anyone who has not, I would definitely recommend it. And it talks about something called frontline obsession. And a product manager is not going to understand customer needs by sitting alone, thinking about them in front of their computer, like in their home office, right? <laughs> they they need to get as close to their customers as humanly possible on the front line. And once that deep customer connection is made, a product manager becomes the voice of and the advocate for their customer. And this deep connection enables product managers to relentlessly experiment with customers to devise new and better solutions, services, and products. Um, I think many of us who work in product could happily spend all of our time empathizing with and advocating for our incredible customers and maybe even just like giving everything away for free. (laughs) But, But we also have to equally balance the second thing, which is the health of the business. So you know, what does that mean? Um, For product managers, it means that they need to determine that their product is actually able to make money. Um, They need to have a vision for the product that aligns to the organizational strategy and focuses on performance over the course of multiple years. Um, They need to ensure that they not only focus on top-line revenue, but also on profitability. And speaking of cost to deliver, the third component is development. So this one's a pretty, um, a pretty big balancing act in of itself. And, and actually like the more, the more I think about product in general, the more I realize it's just like a Russian nesting doll of balancing acts and, you know, product managers also drive the development of their products and different products require different development processes. So in some cases they're developing a physical product, like a book, for example, and need to manage the end to end process in the creation of that book. And so in order to do that, you need to balance quality and costs and you need to weigh certain choices to ensure that you can create that book cheaper than you can sell it for. <laughs> That's really the key, right? And that might require you to compromise on some things. And you know, the, the product manager, as the voice of the customer, they know where those lines are. Um, they know what needs to be perfect and what doesn't in order to still successfully meet customer needs and create a high quality, high value product. And the process of um, developing software, for example, is totally different from the process of creating a book, but the spirit is still the same. You need to focus on developing the product and controlling costs so you can still make money. Um, I always think about something, something you used to say when you were CEO of Cap and professional, I'm sure you still say this today. You used to regularly quote Don Graham and say that businesses grow with the money that they make and product managers, while being the greatest advocate for their customers still need to remember that simple truth. And that's what really makes, um, you know, product, product management. And you also asked about the boundaries, um, if you're in a truly product-led organization, the product department really works at the center of the organization, driving the development, launch, and continual support and improvement of companies' products. That doesn't happen without extremely close partnership with every part of the business, but in particular, marketing and sales. Um, marketing and sales are the teams that that we hand off to in product um, so that they can do their magic. And, and they, in turn, bring some of the richest feedback back into the product organization because they have their own unique frontline insights um, that serve as critical input to the, the development of products. So yeah. I hope that was helpful.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's going to be extraordinarily helpful, especially for, for listeners who are maybe just starting out or, you know, have the, have their first job and even more experienced folks that have been grappling with this question of what, what is, uh, what is product management uh, some people argue with you about whether product really should be at the center of the organization. There are other <laughs> functional areas that believe that they should be the be, be at the center. But what I took away from what you just said was really that there's a job to be done, job, mm-hmm. and uh, by by the by the business and product really sits at the center of what that. What that job is and helping other parts of the organization really understand uh understand that job so a product manager has to be just as much of an educator uh as uh, as as they are uh an an analyzer of customer wants and needs uh and and uh you know how how the development uh, should should transpire so yeah absolutely. You, you uh, you did a wonderful job. So now, did, let's, did
0: that does that align to your memo that you sent out? I can't remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, uh, you know, it 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 really did, especially that uh, your last comments about uh, what I think of as the triumvirate of marketing, sales, and product mm-hmm. that you can't really have uh, an effective. Product organization, without also firing on all the all cylinders, uh, with 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 your partners. Yep. Uh, in, in 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 market in marketing and sales. So no I, I no think, doubt. Yeah, I think that was great. So now let's segue um, to uh, to some of the tensions that uh, that might exist and you know, and getting to this concept of really getting to this concept of building trust and accountability. There's a fair share of product managers, myself included, uh, with, you know, within large organizations that grew up either as entrepreneurs or leaders of much smaller companies that have been swallowed up by that bigger business. So many product managers, especially in large organizations, they come into the role accustomed to managing nearly every aspect of their startup or small business, and even Mm -hmm. running them uh, as small businesses within bigger bigger companies. I want to know your take on the tension with other functional areas that can be created by product managers that have this uh, really hardcore entrepreneurial mindset?
0: Yeah, um, you know, re- it's a really good question. And I, I think I think a lot of organizations experience these tensions, especially organizations that are growing inorganically organically through mergers and acquisitions. Um, they could experience this constantly, right? Um, and then, you know, although product management is a discipline, it can function really differently from one organization to another. Like you said, it's really ill-defined right? And a lot of that depends on the size of the organization. Um, I've been on product teams of a, of a variety of sizes and been on, you know, either side of, of this type of situation, just like you have. And it, I, as you know, um, you know, be, working in product as a startup is, is way more of an all hands on deck type of endeavor when it comes to development and getting things across the line. Um, smaller organizations will often invest heavily in product and go you know, a little more lean on some of the other functions, which usually results in product really muscling through and doing whatever needs to be done to get their product into the hands of as many customers as possible as quickly as possible. And on the flip side, um, enterprise-sized product is much more disciplined and defined um, with well-defined development processes and operating model and clear handoffs to different departments. So, you know, one of the things I've, I've seen observed is, or and experienced is that after a business is acquired, everything changes and a variety of supporting functions sort of swoop in to take responsibility over the acquired businesses, kind of quote, non-product functions. And, and that's often met with resistance because it's a drastically different way of working. And the individual leading product might wonder like why they need these people, right? I don't need these people. They're just getting in my way. They're slowing me down. They're making things harder. There's unnecessary process, lots of bureaucracy, nobody cares. Right. And, and the acquiring organization, uh, you know, supporting functions are like, you know, why, why can't this person stay in their product lane and just conform, standardize and get on board? So, I think it's one of the toughest challenges that organizations face with acquisitions, and it's, it's really multifaceted and stretches across every part of the organization. But I think from a product perspective, it's really important for the teams to develop a clear product strategy, one that focuses on the merging of product portfolios, the combining of capabilities as an accelerant to mutual growth. If the acquiring business is going to truly leverage capabilities from the acquired business and vice versa... There is so much work to do and so much planning that has to happen there. Like, as we like to say at GA, there's just so much wood to chop and that can and should be exciting enough to entice someone to let go of some of those other functional areas of the business that could be picked up by other departments. But I think without a very clear product strategy and a very clear kind of vision toward that end state, people tend to hold on to the things that they don't really need to hold on to, Um, So that's kind of my take on some of those some of those tensions and and what I've experienced in my career so far.
1: Yeah, you're you're just uh, really speaking right into uh, some of the big, uh, you know, stress points. That uh, that that I like to talk about, and the and the and the elixir is uh, you know clarity is you know a lot of entrepreneurs they relish in the messiness they relish right. in uh, in in the ugliness uh, and and then the that, the internal ugliness of everything that's happening behind the doors and then the beauty of of sending the product out out into market and the fact that they had. Uh, you know they they were they were uh they were involved in in every aspect mm-hmm. uh, so I, I i think i'm gonna answer my next question uh jointly with you uh, <laughs> which is you know what what's the best way to capture that zeal and passion of the entrepreneurial mindset while also cultivating uh the you know that team player i think you've already said it which is that that's the 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 codification of the strategy ensuring that everybody's on the same page and then the coaching of that entrepreneur that you brought on board that you know you're you're not let's say the words out loud up front you are not going to manage every every aspect of this and yeah. and there's a change journey that uh, right. that folks need need to go on that uh, i certainly I'll stand right up and raise my hand. I did not constructively go on the change journey when, uh, when we were bought by Kaplan back in 1999. <laughs> we resisted. A lot of those things that you went through, um, uh, uh, it, you know, as, uh, you know, the obfuscation and the, and the pushback, those were all things. Uh, you know, why does that functional area exist? Why does finance need blah, blah, blah? You know, we, we went through all, all of that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's really hard, and 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 some people are better suited for that type, that type, that size of organization long term, and they want to live in the thrill of a startup, and the highs are high, and the lows are low, and um, they just love that, right? And and that's great because <laughs> there are people who are needed in those kinds of environments all day, every day. Um, but you know, I think for for people who want to really make the transition, like just being able to see there are mutually beneficial capabilities. And if the strategy is clear, then I think that, um, you know, you can kind of get a lot of people on board, but it is really hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's go right to trust and accountability here. You know, back in episode 20, Dan and I talked about alignment and planning, the creation of clarity as uh, an elixir to establishing an effective accountability framework within a business. I'd like to hear your thoughts on any tools or systems that you've used to improve trust and accountability within the functional area of, of, of product management and how you interact with other teams.
0: Sure. Um, I love this question. And I really I really enjoyed your, your intro in that episode when you were talking about some of the old approaches like public shaming and yelling. Uh, there are a few others that make me cringe, like when people talk about the severable head. Um, also, a few times, I actually heard someone asking whose belly button they could poke to get what they needed. And that one just makes me cringe every time I think about it. But anyway, I would absolutely plus one to everything you discussed in episode 20, like starting with the North Star and the purpose and making sure you're engaging in the right short-term and long-term planning activities, measuring your progress, and of course, properly aligning incentives. I do think that even when you have all of those important foundational pieces in place, there can still be an accountability gap inside an organization and within teams Um, in the most passive sense, I think this can feel like a group of people standing in a circle around a ball and no one picking it up or worse, it turns into an active finger pointing event. Um, in my experience, most people actually do want to do a good job and they do want to do the things that they're accountable for. But I think a lot of times it's really not clear and they don't even know that they aren't doing something that they should be doing. And I think this happens a lot within larger organizations that have really complex processes i also think it happens when you bring new people into an organization um, when new people join they come in with their past experiences which shape how they see the scope of their responsibility um, they bring past ways of working that doesn't always align and um there are a couple of tools or practices that i've used to help improve trust and accountability um, one of them i i have is it's quite simple um, I have found, myself included, that it is really hard to just say out loud to the people around you that you simply do not know if you're supposed to be the one person who is doing something or if someone else should be doing it. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just naming that you know, naming that uncomfortable moment and trying to model I try to model this behavior with my teams. So I like everybody. Love to leave a meeting with really clear owners over any actions, um, and not just assume that someone is going to own something. But a lot of times, you know, you do end a meeting, and you're, you've collectively come up with a list of things that need to get done, but you haven't necessarily like named an owner for these things. And so, I love to just say, like, okay, stop. <laughs> Who's doing all of these things? Let's. It might be really obvious to all of you, but it's not obvious to me. So. I would just love, love to know who's doing those things. And nine times out of 10, there's actually like some confusion. And so, um, and I, I, sometimes you need to go as far as to say, you know, Hey Andy, in my mind, this is something you would own. Is that right? Does that align with your thinking? Or do you think that Dan should own it? And a lot of times I'm wrong. Um, but at least I've gotten the conversation started and it's important, I think, to normalize that it's not always clear for everyone. and, And that's okay. You just have to kind of lay it all on, out on the table. So so that's one thing. Um,
1: yeah, and uh, I'll interrupt. Yeah. Uh, tip for uh, leaders of meetings. Uh, make sure you leave time for, for that question because it may seem like, uh, okay, who's got what? Okay, Bill, you got this. Susie, you got that. Uh, Danielle, you've got that. Boom, 30 seconds, we're done. Uh, no, it usually takes a lot longer <laughs> than that. Very
0: true. Very true. Yep. <laughs> well, yep. the longer it takes, right, the more ambiguity or, you know, lack of accountability you you realize you have. So you have to actually deconflict that. So it's it's worth spending the time on.
1: Yes. One of the leading reasons why meetings go over is because there's no time for that question built into the agenda.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Maybe uh, Google or, or Microsoft should put like a reminder on, say like, okay, time to stop talking and, and start talking about your accountability actions. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing I love is a good working agreement. So working agreements are an agile team practice. And the purpose of a working agreement is to ensure that teams share responsibility in defining expectations for how they'll function together to enhance their self-organization process. It creates awareness of both positive and negative behaviors that can impact the team and how well they work together. I love applying, um, the working agreement concept a little more broadly into team chartering exercises, and I found it to be really effective at helping to de-conflict accountability or role ambiguity amongst teams and between individuals. So, you know, here's even an example from my recent experience at General Assembly. Um, you probably don't know this, but the product leadership team at GA is fairly new. It's fairly new in general. We have, uh, six out of seven of us who have been at GA for less than eight months, and we all came in with slightly different ideas of who should be doing what based on role and title. And, you know, we were all also very much learning the business and still are. And we we have found ourselves in ambiguous places constantly. So um, what we did was we spent a lot of time intentionally charter, chartering our team, determining how we were going to work together and what um, we actually even went through. A job description exercise where we all basically wrote much more tactical job descriptions for for one another. So we went through them as a team and we agreed upon a final scope of roles and responsibilities for all of us. And it was such an interesting exercise because it really helped expose areas where people were stepping on each other's toes, where there were gaps in accountability, and we were able to de-conflict that, which was great. And, you know, as the team grows and changes and the org changes around us, this can't really be a one and done activity. It needs to be maintained. So, um, you know, that's an exercise that I think is is always well, well worth the time.
1: Yeah, well... Bravo. Uh, This episode is uh, is going to be hopefully listened to thousands and thousands of times (laughs) by folks all around the world that need uh, need these uh, need need these lessons. Uh, And I, I think the point that I'll punch from what you just said is that these exercises take time. The, the knee-jerk reaction is oh yeah everybody can assume and everybody knows what everybody else is doing but that's a that's a formula for really disaster uh, because assumptions always come back to bite you so uh, you know getting things written down project charters team charters uh, I, I you know the the work that goes into those things, if they're properly maintained, and just don't go into Danielle's drawer <laughs> right. uh, to never see the light of day again. Uh, you know those things are are invaluable. So um, we're 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 almost out of time. I want to ask you one more question. Sure. Uh, which is, uh, and I and I've done this with a number of folks. What's one piece of sage advice? that you would give an individual contributor who's just coming into a role in product management?
0: Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think that I would say that just really simply just remember that perfect is the enemy of good. Um, as a product manager, you're always going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's literally the definition of product management. <laughs> That's actually what I should make my, my cocktail party definition. Um, with that in mind, you know we should do just enough as product managers to guarantee quality and get a product into the hands of our customers as early as we can. Um, we need to avoid the risk of doing too little and jeopardizing that quality. And we need to avoid the urge to do too much and waste unnecessary effort on things that we don't have strong evidence will increase the value of the product. Again, it's another balancing act, but it's a lesson that everyone in product learns at some point or another. So that would be my first piece of advice. I would give one other quick piece of advice, and that would be to follow three of my favorite product management, Instagram accounts. They post the funniest memes about what it's like to work in product, and they are a must for some comic relief at the end of the day. (laughs) They are product humor, product managers gone wild, and product manager problems. And I am not getting paid to say this. I just love them.
1: (laughs) I I, got to look into product managers gone wild. (laughs) I I bet that is just a treasure trove.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It is so good.
1: Wow. Well, Danielle, I really appreciate you. We're, we're, we're at the end of our time uh, today, but I appreciate all of your insights. And this has been just a fantastic conversation. So thank you for being here. And I want to thank our listeners. Uh, this is the Balancing Act podcast. You find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and uh, Stitcher and every, every other source you can think of. You can find us at andrewtempkey.com. Uh, you find the muse there, the podcast, some of our music and and, and other goodies, along with the book, The Valentine. So thank you, Danielle, for joining us. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for having me, Andy. You too.